We're going to be in Ezra chapter, um, actually the end of Ezra chapter 2 is Daniel read. And then we're going to go through chapter 3. And I want to talk to you this morning about building the temple to dwell with God. Building the temple to dwell with God. I want you to, um, to think back at all of the Old Testament stories for uh, just a few minutes. Um, I want you to realize that when we look at the Old Testament stories, one of the elements that you always see in it is that God has always had a desire to dwell with mankind, His image bearers here in His creation. He has had a desire to dwell with them here in this earth. And you can remember that in the beginning that they walked and they talked with God. The Bible tells us in Genesis that Adam and Eve actually walked with God in the cool of the day. And basically, it talks to us about the relationship that they had with Him, being able to literally walk along beside of Him and share in conversation with Him and to enjoy all of His goodness and all of His glory in paradise, in perfection. And you know, we can't even imagine that today because of sin and rebellion. The only thing we know is being separated from God, being separated from paradise. The only thing we really know today, for the most part, is the curse of this world. Now yes, we get to experience some of the grace of God. We get to experience some of the blessings of God, even though we don't deserve it. God has left us here in this cursed world with a mixture, the Bible tells us, of His mercy and grace, and a mixture of His wrath on sin. And so we experience um, both blessing and curse in this world. We experience curse because it is meant to, to um, cause us to run away from that, to be reconciled back to God, to understand that we don't want this curse. And then we get to experience the blessing so that it woos us to God. And it sh shows us just a glimpse of what He is like and who He is. And so the best things we experience in this world are meant to show us just a glimpse of what it will be like to be in perfect harmony and in perfect relationship dwelling with God our Father. Uh, some of the Old Testament stories that show us uh, His plan to be reconciled back with us ever since the fall are things like, for instance, um, Moses and the Egyptian redemption. Whenever God calls His people out of the darkness of slavery um, and He uses Moses to redeem them, and then when He gets them to the, uh, the wilderness, the, one of the first things He does is He builds a tabernacle. And in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, the Bible actually tells us that the reason why He builds this tabernacle is because God plans to dwell with us. And that tabernacle was the first symbol that showed us that God is not done seeking reconciliation, even though we are sinners and don't deserve to be reconciled to Him. God is not done looking for a way and planning out a way in, in a, so that it would be possible that you and I would be able to dwell with Him. Now in that, we get to see that it requires sacrifices because they could not come before God and be reconciled to Him without bringing offerings to the front door of the tabernacle. And so the, the, we saw all kinds of signs. We saw the Moses and Aaron as the priests of God. They could not come to the presence of God without first going through God's one who stood in the gap between them. And so all throughout the Old Testament stories, we see the picture of redemption and how God is going to do it. There is going to be a place that God will choose that you and I will be able to dwell with Him here on this earth. Even in the cursed world. Even in our sin. And... How is He going to do that? Well, it's going to require a blood sacrifice. And this blood sacrifice has certain qualifications that it has to meet in order to be acceptable. And then it's going to be offered at, through one that God chooses that will stand in the gap between us. And we see that in the priesthood. And so when you see that first story of Him rescuing them, you see that God has a plan that He one day will dwell with us again. 
And then we move on. You go on over to Solomon and the temple and the priesthood and the sacrifices. And so whenever they get into the promised land, and then Solomon comes up and he builds a temple for the purpose of dwelling with God. Look with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 18 through 21. Do y'all have that one up there? I may have to turn back to it because I'm not sure if they got those or not. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 18 through 21. Look what Solomon says here. He says, But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? That's a good question, right? Well, God, Solomon, his mind is blown here because he's just built this big temple, this place where he dwells with God, and now he asks the question, will, Solomon in, will God indeed dwell with people like us here on this earth? And look what he says next. Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, God. How much less this house that I've built. So in other words... Solomon recognizes when they build the tabernacle, when they build the temple, all of these places that are meant for us to be able to dwell with God, his mind can't comprehend how it could be possible that we could ever dwell with God here on this earth. But he knows that God keeps giving them symbols and things to do so that we would see that God promises that one day He will dwell with us on this earth. And then in verse 19, look what he says. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place, and listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel. And when they pray toward this place... And listen from heaven, from your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. And so again, they recognized that in that tabernacle and in that temple, that basically it was really only a symbol of God dwelling with His people. But they prayed that God, even though you're dwelling in heaven... When this, since this is the place that you chose, you told us to build it. You told us this was the place where you would meet with us. This is the space. Picture it if you will. There has to be a space to where God the divine, where His existence and our existence come together and meet. And God said, I am going to choose the place to where that is going to happen. It can't happen in any other place. It has to be in this place according to this design and according to my command. So the temple is the space where God chose for sinful humans and for Him to dwell together. It was the place where payment could be made. It, it could be seen that God was seeking His plan to be able to dwell in perfect harmony with mankind. And that's the picture that you see. By the time we get to Ezra here, we see them coming back from exile and we have this picture again. This is what all the Old Testament writers are doing. Y'all pay attention to this. All the Old Testament writers are always trying to point you to God's plan for how He's going to redeem you and how He is going to be reconciled back with you and just a glimpse of what it will look like whenever you get to dwell in perfect paradise with Him. And so when we see God calling people out of Egypt into the wilderness, building the tabernacle, setting up the sacrifices, Aaron and Moses as the priest we see that picture of God's plan of redemption. When we see Solomon building the temple, David sets up the priesthood, he sets up the worship service, the sacrificial system, and how everything is supposed to go, we see God's redemptive plan being lived out. And it's no different when we get to Ezra and Nehemiah. God is calling the exiles out of Babylonian captivity. He's bringing them back to the promised land. And the first task they have is to do what? Build the temple. 
Because again, there has to be a place that God dwells with men, a place to where sacrifice can be made, a place where priests can serve and stand in the gap. And so this is the picture that you're seeing. God wants a temple so that He can dwell with you. Now all of these that we're talking about were just symbols. But when Jesus comes... Jesus tells the Pharisees, destroy this temple, and he's pointing to a building. He said, tear every block down so that there's no block left on top of the other, and I will rebuild it in three days. And the Bible, the writer of John tells us that what Jesus was talking about was that he was going to become the place to where mankind and God could dwell together. Why? Because Jesus is the temple. He's the place that God chose to where we meet God at. Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the one that pays the payment so that you and I can be made right. Jesus is the priest, the great high priest. He's the one that brings himself voluntarily into the presence of God, offers himself for our sins. Jesus lived a perfect life that after he forgives us through the sacrifice, he applies his perfection to us. And because of all that Jesus does, it is in Jesus that we get to dwell with God. Let me show you some scriptures to prove that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Did you catch that? You are God's temple. How? Because you and Jesus have become one. He further explains this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So here's the thing about it. You see that? In other words, you are married to Jesus. God, through the new covenant, has married you and Jesus so that y'all are no longer two. But do you remember what, Jesus, what God said about marriage in Genesis? So that they are no longer two, but the two what? Become one. God takes two in covenant. And in marriage, He makes them one so that they are no longer two. God sees them as one and He makes them one. How do I know that? Well, think about what God said. Therefore, what God has what? Joined together. Did the pastor join it together? Did really they do anything to join themselves together? God is the one that actually takes the two and He makes them one. And he says, therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate that. Why? Because through that covenant, God has made them one. In the same way, that is a physical picture of what God does to us when we enter into covenant with Jesus. When we enter into the covenant with Jesus, we, our bodies, become members of Jesus because the two become one. Now, he's addressing sexual immorality here, so don't get confused, but he says... Shall I then take the members of Christ, our bodies, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Because again, this was a major issue in Corinth, all right? And so, shall we do that? No, you're one with Jesus. So whenever you take that and you join your body with something immoral, what have you just did? You took Jesus with you. He says, never do that. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But then look at verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So there again we see the picture. The picture here is that in the same way that God takes the two in marriage covenant and He makes them one, is the same way that in the covenant that you make with Jesus, God takes you in all of your sin. How does He do that? Because Jesus pays the price for you. And because of that, God is able to perfect you. God is able to justify you. God is able to cleanse you. God declares you not guilty. All of your sins, past, present, and future, are washed away by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And when by faith you trust in that, 
God promises that He takes you and Jesus and He makes you one. How does He do that? He joins you up with the Holy Spirit. And He comes to dwell in you. And so, God joins us together with Christ. We become one spirit with Him. So again, here's the point. Jesus is the fulfillment of what the temple symbolized. Do you see that? He is the space where man and God dwell together. This is the reason why in the Gospel of John, John starts his entire Gospel out saying, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then if you were to skip down to verse 14 in John chapter 1, he actually says, The Word became flesh and did what? and dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us. That's what the word tabernacle means, to dwell with. And so when God built the tabernacle, it was His dwelling place that man and God could meet and their spaces could come together. When God built the temple, this was the place that man and God could meet and their spaces would come together. How's that going to take place? Through the sacrifices that they bring, through the priesthood, through um, all the worship that is done here. And now all of that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You and I, we give our sacrifice through Jesus. You and I, we go to God and the priest that stands between us and God is Jesus. You and I worship because we worship Jesus. We worship everything about the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so He is the space where man and God dwell together. This is the reason why in Romans chapter 8 verse 9, look at what this says right here. In Romans 8 verse 9, He actually tells us, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. This is the reason why Jesus said to Nicodemus, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, and you must be born again. He said, Don't marvel that I said you must be born again. Let me explain it to you. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. But what do, you do, what do you know about the wind? It's been there. And he says, so it is with those who are born of the Spirit. In other words, if you know that God dwells in you, and you know that God is changing you, and you know that there is a heart in you that desires to be pleasing to God, and you know there's a heart in you that has a hatred for your sin and for how it makes God feel, then you know that you have been born of the Spirit. And you know that God has joined you up with Jesus and now God dwells with you because He has put His Spirit in you and He's leading and He's guiding you. And this is why the Apostle Paul says it's very important that you and I not quench the Spirit, that you and I not grieve the Spirit, Because the Spirit is in you. Because listen, this is no longer your space. This was your space before before God came into the picture. This was all you. Every bit of it. Now, it's kind of like me and my wife. Before me and my wife got married, this was all me. But now that her and I are together, the Bible says the two have become one. I tell her all the time, just messing with her, I say, you see all that? That belongs to me. And then she looks back and says, Praise God, because all this belongs to me. (laughs) No, she don't say that. But anyway, (laughs) I made that part up. But the, the, the point is, is that this is not your space anymore. This is now shared space. This is now space that you and God dwell together in. And so God puts His Holy Spirit in there because... God don't keep the same kind of house that you keep. Y'all know what I'm saying? God keeps a lot cleaner house than you keep, right? And so we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't quench the Holy Spirit. Our job is to listen to the Holy Spirit, to let Him convict and to let Him train us and to let Him teach us and guide us into this shared space so that it continuously is becoming a space 
that God and Christ dwell here and they're at home in this place. And that is the process of the Christian while we are here right now. Are we saved? Yes, we're saved. Are we still sinners? Yes, we're still sinners. Can God still dwell with you? Yes. Why? Because He's perfected you through Jesus Christ. All of that has been forgiven and justified. God has declared you not guilty from all of it. But now God gives you His Holy Spirit because this is not just your space, this is His space too. And now He's going to turn this into a space to where more and more He can live comfortably in this space. And so we are building a temple for us to be able to dwell with God in. And so I want to go back because remember I told you when I first started this series that the Old Testament was there to make us wise for, sal for salvation through faith in Jesus. How do we do that through Ezra? Well again, the, t the temple wasn't going to cut it because by the time they get to the end of the temple, by the time you get to the end of Ezra and Nehemiah, the people are not dwelling in perfect harmony with God. No, they've already broke the law again. They've already gone the wrong way. They're already, I mean, this thing is a mess. And no matter how hard Ezra and Nehemiah, and no matter how hard Zerubbabel and the high priest, no matter how hard they tried, they could not accomplish what we needed. Only Jesus could do it. And so when we read this, we are to see Jesus all the way through. We see Jesus in the redemption, in Him drawing us and calling us out of darkness. We see Jesus in the sacrifices. We see Jesus in the temple. We see Jesus in the priesthood. We see Jesus in the kings. We see Jesus in everything about what this story tells us. And it makes us wise to understand, I need Jesus. And then at the same time, the Old Testament is for our examples, for us to be able to look back because the same process that happened from Egypt to the wilderness to the promised land is the same process that's repeated when they get in the promised land. They build a temple, they build the priesthood, the law. It's the same story, the same routine we get to when we get to Ezra and we see the same over and over. Why? Because it's all painting a picture and symbolizing what Jesus is doing in us today, right now. Y'all tracking with me? And so when we look back at this, what we want to see are what kind of examples can we learn from them so that as we're building this temple, just like they were building that temple, what is it that we need to learn from them so that we make sure that the temple gets built? Because again, God has called us to build this temple. So let's take a look at Ezra chapter, starting in chapter 2, verse 68. If you've got your outline today, you'll see. I'm just going 1 through, one through 6, I think it is here. But starting in verse 68 of chapter 2, look at what it says. Some of the heads of the families, when they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, made free will offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. So they are coming to build the house of God, right? They're coming to build the place where God and man are going to dwell together. Keep going. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work 61,000 derricks of gold. And this was basically like a quarter ounce of gold. And so I don't know if you know what a quarter ounce of gold is worth today. But they gave. And notice it says they gave according to their ability. And this is one of the same things we're going to learn about us and how we build our temple here today as well. But he says here that they gave, according to their ability, 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and a mina or a mina, however you pronounce that, was somewhere around a pound and a half of silver. And so you've got all kinds of gold, you've got all kinds of silver that is given here. And do you remember from last week, where did they get all this gold and silver from? From the enemy. God actually blessed them the same way the Egyptians, you remember when the Egyptians in, in Exodus chapter 12, when the Egyptians are coming out of Egypt, God says, hey, go tell them to ask the Egyptians for, for gold and silver. And the Bible says that God actually put it in the hearts of the Egyptians to just give to them to the point that they plundered the Egyptians. And they walked into the wilderness rich. Many animals, many, where do you think they get all the animals to sacrifice at? Where do you think they get the cloth from to build the tabernacle, the rope to, to stake the tent? The, I mean, they, the, the garments for the priests, all of this stuff come from the plunder of the enemy. 
And then when we get to um, Ezra, the same thing happens. Well, David did the same thing. David took free will offerings of the people, and then David took the spoils of war that he had got from all of the conquered kingdoms he'd conquered, and he used all that and gave it to Solomon to build the temple. Every time God builds His temple, He builds it on the plunder of the enemy. And so point number one, God's temple is built on the plunder of the enemy and free will offerings of the people. Keep reading with me in verse um, 70. Now the priests, the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants lived in their towns, and all the rest of Israel lived in their towns. And then if you were to keep reading into chapter 3, you see that they all gave free will offerings. What does free will mean? Did anybody force them to give this? No. Now, God, on the other hand, forced the enemy to give it. But you, God don't want to force you to give anything. You know, I thank God that we don't pass a plate around in here anymore. I really do. I like that. You know why? Because that makes it to where if you want to give to the building of God's kingdom and you want to bless that, you do it. There ain't nothing coming in front of you to make you do it. If you want to drop it on the plate on the way out the door, that's fine. And a lot of people would say to me today, well, preacher, what about the law that says you have to give a tenth? Can I tell you something? We're not under law. Can I tell you that we are free from the law today? And you and I are to give out of the cheerfulness of our heart is what Paul said. Paul said, yes, on the first day of the week when you come together, everybody ought to lay up something so that... That, so that whenever there's a need and whenever something needs to be took care of, we're able to do that. But at the end of the day, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. And so what do we see in this? We see that God builds His temple based out of the free will offerings of people and the plunder of the enemy. Look at um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 12 here for just a minute. <coughs> Excuse me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. Here we go. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, when he goes to verse 8, think about that. We've all been given gifts of grace for the building of the temple. Now, look what he says next. Therefore, it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. In other words, we were all captive to the devil, to Satan, to our sin. But when Christ died and rose from the dead, and when he ascended on high, he led a host of people that were captives following right behind him. People like me. People like you. And in the process of that, what we see here is a quote from Psalms that pictured David, the king, coming back from war and he's leading a host of captives behind him that he has rescued from, from whatever it was that the bondage that they were in. And then notice what it says next. And he gave gifts to men. Do you know where he got those gifts from? From the enemy. And Jesus did the same thing. You belong to the enemy. Everything you were belonged to the enemy. Listen, I know we all like to say that we're all God's children, but can I tell you biblically that's a lie? No. Jesus told the Pharisees very plain, you're not of my father, you're of your father. Your father is the devil. In other words, there are sinners in this world that under the authority of Satan, they belong to him. But when Jesus saves your soul and calls you out of Egypt or calls you out of Babylon, what He does is He leads this host of captives to freedom. And in the process of it, He takes all the plunder that He takes from Satan and He gives gifts to men. Why does He do that? Go to verse 9. In saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He had also descended first into the lower regions of the earth? So there again, it's just talking about Jesus coming from heaven to earth, giving His purpose, dying, being raised from the dead, and then He ascends back to heaven as He gives gifts to the captives that He frees. Now go to verse... Um, uh, yeah. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that He might feel all things. And then look at verse 11. 
And here's the gifts that He gave. Here's how the temple is built. He gave the apostles gifts. They lay the foundation. He gives the prophets gifts. They speak like me the inspired Word of God to you, proclaim the Word of God to you. He gives the evangelists gifts. What do evangelists do? They spread the Word. They go out and spread the Gospel and they seek and save that which is lost. He gave the shepherds. What do shepherds do? Shepherds tend the flock, guard the, guard the flock. And so again, all these gifts. And then He gives teachers. And so this is the way that in these gifts, and these are just a few of them that He puts in the church. And so because all of these people belong to the enemy, He takes the plunder of that enemy. Just like He did in Egypt just like he did in Babylon, just like he did with David. All the stories that you see in the Old Testament are just redemption stories. That's what they are. And now today we get to see in our own life that what God is doing is he's taking sinners. Now why is this important to you? Because you need to understand something. There would have been a time in my life that you would not have accepted me as your pastor. There would have been a time in my life that you might not would have accepted me as your friend. <laughs> And you need to understand something. That God takes people just like me. And He steals them away and saves them away from the enemy. And He gives them gifts. And He builds His temple out of people like Peter. Out of people like Paul. Out of people like Kevin. Out of people like Fagan. Out of people like Bobby and Donnie and Casey and Tara Beth and Elizabeth and Amanda. He takes people like us and He builds the kingdom. This is so important, guys, because you and I want to look at each other and we expect to see perfection. We expect that if somebody in the church messes up and sins greatly, we look at it and go, well, I don't know who they are. I don't even know if they even belong here. Can I tell you that that's exactly the kind of people that God uses? And He takes the plunder of the enemy and He builds His temple. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. No matter where you go in the New Testament, all of the New Testament authors look back at the old and the way God would build a temple and He says, that's you. You are the fulfillment of this. You in Jesus Christ are the living stones that are being built up together as a spiritual house. Not a physical house. A spiritual house. And you are going to be a holy priesthood. You don't need a Catholic priest to come confess your sins to. You are a priest. And the Lord Jesus is your high priest. And everything you do goes through Him. And He says here, our job is to offer sacrifices, but not animal sacrifices the way they did back then. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Help me, Lord. Our job is to offer spiritual sacrifices in this temple, in this temple, that are acceptable to God, and we do it through Jesus Christ. Are y'all getting any of this? Amen. Let's go to number two. God's temple is built by unity among His people. Look with me at Ezra chapter 3, verse 1. When the, seven, when the seventh month came, and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Now think about what he said right here. They have come back from Babylon. They have, at the end of chapter 2, they've went to all their homes and all their towns and it was destroyed. They've got to go back and they're trying to establish some kind of living so that they can dwell there. And then when the seventh month comes, the Bible says now they all, from all of their places they went, they come together and they gather together the place where the temple is going to be built and they do it as one man. Now I want you to think about what he's saying right here. They understood that this was a work that was too great for any one person to do on their own. You understand that, right? 
It was going to take each and every one of them as carpenters, stone workers, as people hauling logs in. It was going to take concrete workers. It was going to take everybody pitching in. It was going to even take people that all they were was gophers, the runners. They just ran and got this and got that. They didn't have much to offer, but they were needed. And it took every man to be able to come together. And you know what they did? Every man came together. You know why they did it? And they came together as one man? Because they knew what the goal was. They knew what the purpose was. They didn't come to Jerusalem and went, well, we don't know what we're doing here. and We're just here to listen to a good sermon. and We're just here to, to offer a sacrifice. No, they knew what their goal was. Church, what can you and I learn from this today? Church is also the temple that is built by the unity of God's people. The reason why you and I can't stay together and can't get along, and the reason why we let so many things get in... You think these guys didn't have trouble between them? You think these guys hadn't been fighting over land and fighting over who this belonged to and who that belonged to, and I came over and helped you with your house, but you ain't come over here and helped me with mine. Y'all don't think they had all these issues? But they still came together to Jerusalem because there's a temple that has to be built if we're going to be able to dwell with God. And they met together. And you and I as a church need to understand that according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 19, I think it is. Look at what this says right here. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. Then you are no longer strangers and aliens, because he was talking about Jews and Gentiles and they didn't jive. But he says here, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and in whom the whole structure being joined together, did you catch that? It takes every being, even the ones that you can't hardly stand to be around and talk to, they're needed. They're needed. And so he says here, the whole structure is being joined together and it grows into what? A holy temple in the Lord. Now verse 22, last verse here. I may not have gave him that one. I'm putting him on the spot this morning, so y'all bear with him. <clears throat> but here's, here's the point, whether he gets to that, here it is. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I hope y'all see I'm backing everything up with Scripture this morning. I ain't said a single word that I ain't read it off to you and you said, there it is, whoop, there it is. That's it. I ain't said a single thing this morning that has not been backed up everything by Scripture. It requires unity on your part to understand, and how are we going to do that and, and not let the problems and things get in the way? We're going to do that by keeping our eye on the goal. I know that there are issues. I know that there are struggles. But I also know that there is a building that God is building and it takes every one of us to do it. Do you really think, can you imagine, they didn't have the technology we had. Can you imagine them looking at the blueprints of this building and, the, and God going, okay, this is what I want you to build. And they look at that thing. And they probably look at each other and go, how in the world are we going to do this? This almost looks impossible. But if God says we can do it, we can do it. Do you think there was a single one of them that would have looked at their neighbor and said, hey, go on home, we don't need you. No, as a matter of fact, they were probably looking around everywhere saying, guys, we need, every, we need all hands on deck. I need every hand. I need every ability. I don't care. I don't even know what you bring to the table, but you can do something. And so we come together and we unify because we understand the purpose. We understand the goal. And you know what happens? They missed it. They got off track a little bit. And we're going to learn next week that opposition got in the way and they laid the foundation and then they just quit for like two years. They went back to building their own houses. Go read the book of Haggai if you want to read about that story. 
But they go back to building their own houses and they just let the temple of God go by the wayside. And then God sends Haggai and Zechariah to encourage them and preach to them and they get back to the work because of the word of the Lord and they build and they build till the, finally the, the, the temple is completed. And they did it because they came together as one man. And so this is what you and I have to do. That's a lesson you and I learn. Number three. God's temple is only possible with the sacrifice first. Look at verse 2 in Ezra chapter 3. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Jezoadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, with his kinsmen. And here's the first thing they did. Before they even laid the foundation, look at the first thing they did. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So they set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. We'll get to that in a minute. Here's the point that I'm making right here. A sacrifice is required before we can ever dwell with God. You can build the building all you want. You can come to church all you want. You can listen to as many sermons, you can sing as many songs, you can raise your hands and say you're a good, good father, you're perfect in all of your ways. You can do whatever you want and no matter how good you think it is, God will not accept it and God will not dwell with you until the sacrifice has been made first. And the first thing these people understand is we cannot come before God without first giving this sacrifice and acknowledging what this sacrifice means. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. I think it starts in verse 24. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 through 26. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, like the temple was, which are copies of the true things. In other words, that temple was just a copy of what Jesus was actually going to do. But He has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on whose behalf? On our behalf. Now go with me to 25. Nor was it to offer Himself repeatedly. Listen, do you know how many times these eyes had to offer sacrifices? Day after day after day after day, it never ended. So many animals were slaughtered and killed. And we look at that and go, God, why? And the whole point is so you see the seriousness of sin and what it requires. And he says here, he didn't go into heaven to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest does in the holy places every year with blood not his own. But instead, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Listen, every time you sin, you are not re-crucifying Jesus. I know you've heard that. And I know that makes you feel bad, and I know preachers use it a lot of times because it makes, makes people want to repent. Oh, I've done it again, and I've hurt Jesus again. I've put Him back on that cross. You ain't putting Jesus back on that cross. No, you're not. Look, for then He would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, He has appeared how often? For how, for how long? For all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice, singular, of Himself. Guys, when Jesus died for your sins and when you trusted in that sacrifice and you made that sacrifice by faith, if you will, it was one time. One time. You say, oh, preacher, but I still sin. Yes, do you not think that sacrifice covered that sin too? All of your sins, past, present, future. Do you think that when God saved you through the sacrifice of Jesus that He looked and said, well, I only know the sins you're going to do up to this point. So as long as you don't sin anymore, then you'll be okay. No, God knew you before you were born. And He knew every sin you would commit from the time you were born to the time you died. 
And He still saved you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But you cannot come into this dwelling until you have first proclaimed that by faith. And so any of you here this morning that are trying to be a part of us and build this temple and you're trying to do better and you're trying to be better, I want you to know all you're doing is moral behavior modification. You must make the sacrifice and you must trust in that and you must by faith proclaim that God has saved you because He promised He would through what Jesus has done. And only then, when the altar has been set, the sacrifice has been made, only then are you ready to build the temple. You can't build it until then. Go to the next one with me, number four. God's temple is built on faith in His Word. Look at the end of verse 2 again. It says, They offered burnt offerings on it as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. You can't come to God your own way. That's what Cain tried to do. You remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain came to to God and he genuinely thought in his mind, he said, I got some good produce right here. Man, this is the best of my field. I'm talking about this is the good stuff. The Amish don't grow stuff like this. Cain brought the best he had and he really thought in his mind, God is going to be pleased with what I just did. And you know what happened? God was not pleased. But Abel, on the other hand, he didn't bring just what he thought would be good. He brought exactly what God asked for. A blood sacrificed, an unblemished lamb, a flock from his field. See, Cain probably said, yeah, I don't want to do that. Cain knew what God wanted just like Abel knew what God wanted. But Cain didn't want to go to Abel and have to get a sheep. Instead, Cain wanted to show God what he could do. Look at my goodness. Look at my righteousness. And whenever Cain comes and he stands before God with the best that he had, you know what Isaiah says about all your good deeds? They're like filthy rags in the eyes of God. We have but one choice, and that is to put our faith in the Word and the promise of God. And when we do... See, sometimes I look at God and I go, God, it don't make no sense to me whatsoever that you're just going to save me by my faith in Jesus. I mean, I've got to do something. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I've got to to work for this. I've got to earn this. I've got to be as good as I can be. And I've got to, I've got to, I've got to... Cain, you better get out of this place. That ain't the way. The way we build the temple is by faith in the Word of God and by doing what He said do. And when we follow Him and when we trust Him by faith, then we are on the right track to actually building this temple. It has to be built God's way. I don't have a lot of time, but I'll, I'll put it to you like this. Uh, good, um, a good teacher that I listen to, his name is Tim Mackey. If you never heard of him, I highly recommend him. I love listening to him. I've, I learned so much from him. He used an example when he was talking about the Holy Spirit coming to live in this shared space. And he said that um, he used to be best friends with a guy. When he first moved out of his parents' house, he, he moved in with a guy that um, him and they were best friends and they were going to share an apartment together and they were going to pay their, their rent. And he said that um, he lived that time on, a bo- on box pastas. He said he would cook these pastas and that was just his whole diet. And he said he was cooking one day and one of those little noodles from the box pasta fell out of the bowl and went down into the eye, under the eye, and it just sat there and sizzled until the point that it become black. All right? And he said somehow or another, that noodle made it from under that eye into the sink. And he said in their sink, they had this little food trap thing that uh, trapped food so you could pull it out and dump it into garbage so it didn't go down. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But he said somehow or another, that noodle found its way under this, um, this screen. And he said it stayed there for a few months. And he said they were sitting there, and one day he, he, he went in there and he found that noodle and he, he got it out and he just laid it there in the sink or something like that. But um, he said he got to talking to his buddy. He said they were going to sit down and talk about how things were going with their shared space. And he said, his buddy said, you know, things things are going pretty good. 
but the black noodle. Dude, the black noodle. You've got to do something about the black noodle. And he said the, the point was that he didn't even think it was really no big deal. He said, but his buddy kept a very clean house. And his buddy saw this black noodle and it just drove him crazy. He said, it's just something he threw to the side and didn't even think nothing about it. And he said that what he learned in that is that in the shared space that they share, it's important that he not just think about himself, but he consider what it is that his roommate would like for him to do in order for them to dwell together in this space. Now, he admits that he's not a very clean person. But his roommate, on the other hand, is a very clean person. And he learned that the best thing he could do in order for them to dwell together, if they were going to dwell in harmony, is to listen to the concerns and the cares of his roommate. And as long as he listened to that, and as long as he followed some of the things, because he wasn't asking too much, he said as long as he followed and listened to what he said, then things went well. And what you and I have to understand is, again, this is no longer my space. This is shared space. And there is one in here that keeps much cleaner house than I do. And it is my responsibility to make sure that I'm listening to him from his word about what it takes in order to clean this place up. And you and I may look at this space right here, and we may have all kind of black noodles that have fell under the stove or have ended up in the sink. And you and I may look at it and go, yeah, you know, it's not a big deal. It's just a black noodle. But there is one that shares this space with us. That even a single black noodle in the kitchen sink is not okay. And we would be wise to listen to the one that dwells with us because he knows far better than I do about keeping a clean space. And so we have to make sure that we are listening to the Word of God, that we're listening to the commands, and we're doing it His way. It's not okay for us to just live our life day after day never acknowledging our roommate, never acknowledging his cares and concerns of how he expects this space that he dwells in to be kept. But that's why we gather together every morning or every Sunday morning and even small groups or whatever else we do. The point is that you and I are learning how to hear from the Word of God so that we can put faith in it, we can believe it, we can apply it to our life, and we can actually clean the space that God has chosen to dwell with us in. Number five. I'll go through these next two quickly. God's temple is not built without opposition. I'm not even going to spend any time on that this week because that's going to be next week's message. The temple is never built without opposition. And you're going to see that there are some people that actually have come back and lived in the land that they're going to oppose this building of this temple. They want to be involved in the work, but the problem is they can't be because they ain't made the right sacrifice, because they are not um, choosing to dwell with God according to faith in His Word and what He desires. And so they don't let them join up in the work process and they have opposition and you and I have that today in the building of this temple too. Finally, number six, God's temple takes skilled labor and precious materials to build it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 through 15. And you can find it in Ezra to where he has to seek out the skilled labor here. But this is what Paul brings this same thought process into this. And he says, For we are God's fellow workers and you are God's field. You are God's building." And then he says, according to the grace of God given to me by the plunder of the enemy, he says, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Every one of you in here may not be able to rightly divide the Word of God the same way that I can. That's the reason why God has called me to be the pastor. Because according to the grace of God that He has given to me, I am taking the skill that He's given me and I'm doing my part at helping to make sure the foundation continues to be laid and the building is built appropriately. And He says here, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and then someone else is coming and building upon that 
and let each one of you take care how he builds upon it. So don't just build with just anything. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, or they use wood, hay, or straw, he says each one's work will become manifest because the day or the judgment will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire is going to test it. And he says, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Here's my point. They understood in Ezra that it's going to take skilled labor, that you are going to need other people in your life that are able to do things that you're not able to do. You're going to need teachers. You're going to need preachers. You're going to need people that will admonish you and hold you accountable. And you're going to need people who will love you and forgive you. And, and, and you're going to need people that will be humble with you. And you're going to need people that will be long-suffering with you. And you're going to need people that will be compassionate with you and kind to you and help you in this building process. And the more that we build with the skilled labor, and the more we build with precious materials, the more we're going to be able to see this temple grow into everything that God means for it to be. But it takes us using the right materials. You ever heard of the one another's in the Bible? Love one another, forgive one another, be compassionate with one another, admonish one another, be kind to one another. All of those things are the precious gold, silver, and precious stones that you and I are meant to build with in such a way that we are always helping each other increase in righteousness. The truth of the matter is, if you don't leave here today with the desire to increase in righteousness, you've missed it. If I don't teach in such a way that it helps you to move toward increasing in righteousness, I've missed it. But when I take the skill that God's given me, when the teachers take the skill God's given them, when you take the skill God's given you and you put on the right precious stones and tools to build this building, the building will be built. And it will stand the test when the day of judgment comes. And so in closing this morning, God has called us out of slavery to sin and He is building a temple out of us for Him to dwell with us until the day that He makes us new and He walks with us in the new earth once again. This temple is built with precious materials and skilled labor. It is built on the plunder of the enemy and free will offerings from us. It's built by unity among us as we work together for our common purpose. It begins with the sacrifice of Jesus that pays for our sin and reconciles us to God. And as we trust His Word by faith and we follow Him, we are going to face opposition. There's going to be times where the work stalls and even quits for a time. But the work will be finished because God has made a promise that He's going to dwell with us. And He's going to make sure that the place where He dwells with us gets built. He started it, and He's going to finish it, and we just keep trusting Him and play our part in it. I guess if I were to ask a question for, for invitation this morning, my, my question would simply be this. Have you been born of the Spirit? Do you see a desire in you to truly be pleasing to God, to honor God, to, to hate your sin, and to want to build this place for God to dwell? Has there been a time in your life that you made the right sacrifice and you trusted in Jesus alone and what He has done to cleanse you and make you whole? If you can't say that this morning, then it ain't about nobody sitting beside of you. It ain't about who is around you. It is simply about you saying, this morning I want to put my faith and my trust in Jesus. I want the Holy Spirit to come and live in me. I want to be born again. And let me tell you something. If you feel that draw and you feel that pull this morning, the Bible says you can't come unless the Spirit is drawing you. So He's calling you right now to do that. 
And if I can help you with that, I'd love to sit down with you and take you through the Word and show you what that means and help you to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe this morning, you got a lot of black noodles. <laughs> and you ain't took them very serious. To the point that the place is piled up with black noodles. Can I get a witness? Don't raise your hand. Maybe this morning you understand this ain't your space. This is shared space. And this space, God is leading you to clean up. He has perfected you and He's made you whole in Christ Jesus. And He dwells with you even as you are. But He is in the process of sanctifying you and making you new. And if you've not took that serious this morning, then maybe this morning is the morning you humble yourself before Him and you ask Him to forgive you. And you repent of that. And you start getting serious about what we're doing here in this place and not just coming to church, but hearing the Word and applying it to your life and getting the black noodles out.